0: It's time for the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle. From the Frickers Studio. On Classic is 96.7 WBBI. On ESPN 1430 AM. And at 105.7 FM WFOB. The Sports Huddle is brought to you by NWO Orthopedics. Frickers. Warner Automotive. By Blanchard Valley Health System. Rotor rooter Bigby Coffee. By Northwestern Water and Sewer District. Wilson Tire. Rip by mj brown construction company premier bank campus polio by financial design insurance agency snyder's flooring outlet ohio automotive Supply. seneca millwork five-star maintenance and by the Rumpy corporation and now let's go to lance and matt coming to you live from the bricker studio for the nwo orthopedics sports title
1: Welcome on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Fricker Studios ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM WFOB Classic it's 96.7 WBVI Lance Morris Matt Kalman here with you this Wednesday night Thank you for making us a part of your Wednesday night for this edition of the show Matt how are we doing? Baker didn't
2: bake made me <laughs> Sad Figured I started on such a high note last week After the Bucks brought home the w against the eagles and well that did not happen against the Lions. but you know what? it was a fun game it was fun to watch i'm happy for my team i'm happy for all the teams that i root for that it's uh well there's so many now, of
0: them
2: huh so well, many of them yeah so many of them that's what you're no no not so many of them but not important what's important is we got great show on deck for you guys today way more discussion about castles than i ever thought we'd have on a sports show but i'm completely for it i i live for these types of discussions but no i'm doing good man it's should be a good show tonight should be a lot of fun and uh man we've had some great sports some very entertaining action over the last couple of days and over the weekend and i'm looking forward to more of it this weekend
1: on this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Subtle here from the Fricker Studios, we will talk with Elmwood Boys Basketball Coach Ty Traxler. The Royals had a tough one last night against Delta, and they also now will this Friday be taking on Pandora Gilboa. We'll also talk the PG side of that matchup as we'll catch up with Pandora Gilboa head Boys Basketball Coach Mike Leas. They actually looked a rebound from their first two losses of the season as they dropped a couple games to Arlington and Delta St. John's over the weekend. We'll look back at the divisional round of the NFL playoffs and look ahead to the AFC and NFC Conference Championship games. You may not be physically at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials tonight. Get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Pick up from the carryout window, dine in, get delivery through DoorDash. Download the Frickers app and find them online at Frickers.com. And join us over the next few days for our coverage of high school basketball. Thursday on WFOB will have coverage of Fall Story Girls Basketball. They'll be playing host to Eastwood. Bart Wilson, Tom Grind have that one on Thursday on WFOB. And then Friday on Classic Hits, we'll have coverage of BBC basketball. Pandora Giboa taking on Elmwood. Matt Brown and I have that one for you Friday night on Classic Hits 967. Friday night on WFOB, we'll have coverage of SBC River Girls Basketball. Lakota taking on Hopewell Loudon. Matt Common. Tom Grind have that one for you Friday on WFOB. And then Saturday, a doubleheader, games in the afternoon. We'll have high school girls basketball, Liberty Benton, hosting Liberty Center. Join us for that one around 1.30 on Classic. Hits on Saturday. And then Saturday night, we'll have SBC River Action, Battle of Bullfrog Road, New Regal taking on Hopewell Loudon. We'll have that one on Bull Stations around 630 And that'll be Saturday night again on both of our stations. And with that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Elmwood boys basketball coach Ty Traxer here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios.
3: At Blanchard Valley Health System, we're looking for individuals to join our family of professionals. We require compassion, dedication, and the desire to make a difference in a fast-paced healthcare environment. Jobs are available in clinical and support services we offer competitive wages and benefits. The culture of BVHS is unique and rewarding. Visit bvhealthsystem.org backslash careers to search our current openings. Blanchard Valley Health System, we're here for you. Getting the kids to
0: practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks, making it to the game with a clean Jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto Owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base.
1: That's simple human sense. Ask Financial Design Insurance Agency in New Regal if Auto Owners makes sense for you. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI, Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night, this Friday night, we'll have coverage of BVC basketball, we'll have the Pandora Gamora Rockets taking on the Elmwood Royals, Matt Brown and I will have that one for you on Friday night on Classic, it's 96.7, we're now pleased to be joined by Elmwood head boys basketball coach Ty Traxler here, in the Frickers zoom room coach how you doing
4: very good thank you for asking
1: yeah thank you again as well for uh for taking the time to talk with us always appreciate uh getting to catch up with you so for for you uh what was uh what was the process like uh in just getting ready for uh for the season this time around
4: oh uh, well I, it seems like the last few years we've had a lot of unique situations um the last two years we've we've obviously had a really good football team and They've made huge runs, um, so that's kind of limited our, our preseason. Uh, this year, we had the challenge of three of our top six players uh, missed the entire preseason with football injuries. Um, Mike Oliver broke his ankle in week eight, and uh, he missed the entire preseason and, and was hurt all of last year. So um, it was a tough start for him. And then um, both of my sons, uh, Owen and Andrew Traxler, broke a bone in week 11. Um when we had a three and seven football team that thanks to the extended playoffs uh, was a 16 seed playing Liberty center. And uh, so we lost both of those guys um, that week, but um, now that we're back and healthy, we, you know, and we're starting to gel a little bit and figure out who we are um, with everybody back Um, since, since the first of January, we've, we've been really competitive and um, we're just trying to figure out how to win close games. That seems to be. um, And again, we had a, a pretty inexperienced team coming into the season um, with only two healthy letter winners, uh, one of those being only a sophomore. So so it's it's been a process, but we feel like we're on the right path, um, even though it's not really translating to wins and losses right now.
2: And coach with that, um, like you just mentioned, not necessarily the translation between wins and losses, but no denying since the start of the new year, you guys certainly have come on a lot stronger in, in your games. Are you kind of viewing it then as, hey, with everything that happened to start the season, everybody missing with the preseason? Did you really look at the start of this year kind of as a glorified preseason because of that? Now you guys are really getting up to that game speed at this point? Because, again, like you mentioned, may not be in the win-loss column, but it certainly seems like, just to call it as is, you guys are making way more of a game of it night in and night out.
4: Yeah, and really, I mean, I mean, we've uh, you know we lost we lost a one possession game with Atsigo. We lost a one possession game to Cardinal Stritch. Um, We were in a one possession game until the last minute and a half with Liberty Benton. Um, so yeah, I mean, we we we're on the right track, I think. And in December, we we told our kids we want to be playing our best by the end of January. Uh, bulk of our games, we only just played our twelfth game, um, so we still have ten games left in our regular season. So we're kind of backloaded. Um, which hopefully is beneficial to us and can translate to some wins. But, um, yeah, you can definitely see the progress from watching us night in and night out. Um, and we're starting to figure things out. So,
1: Talking with Ty Tracker, Elmwood Head Boys Basketball Coach here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. One of the other things different about this season was, of course, the switch from conferences from the NBC to now, the BBC, what have been the differences that you have noticed so far, you know, in the differences, you know, now being in the BBC?
4: Well, I was I was in full support of, of our move to the BBC. Um, you know, the NBC just kind of continued to outgrow us um, from a size standpoint, from a competitive standpoint. Um, obviously, we've come into the BBC and haven't been real successful in a lot of sports currently, but we're, we're hoping that continues to change. The thing I like about the basketball aspect of it specifically is the single round um, and not playing a double round. So it gives you a lot of flexibility, not only with your schedule um, to make your non-league competitive with having less league games, but it makes every league game feel like a tournament game. Um, and that's one thing I've I've really noticed in our, what, what have we played, four or five league games so far is just – the atmosphere you can tell you're only you're only playing that team one time. And I think a lot of the really good leagues in the area do that, right? I mean the NWC and the NWAL and the WBL. So um I really like that aspect of it. And I think that'll that'll hopefully translate to some I guess being more prepared for tournament games. So
2: and outside that single elimination aspect with the BBC, any other things in particular that stands out as maybe like a positive from the transition from the nbc the BVC, maybe something that what would have appreciated some of the coaches like like you know has there been any hazing or playful hazing of any variety from the other teams and other league members welcoming you guys in uh just the o- overall it seems like the transition to the bbc has been a little smoother than potentially could have been anticipated
4: well, yeah, it's, it's, it's been kind of, I mean, it's been kind of fun getting to know some of the new coaches a lot. I mean, some of the coaches I've known forever, um, Jason Vermillion and I coached the Ohio Indiana game together way back in the day. And um, we've, we've kept in touch and, um, but it's also been, it's been cool to, to meet some new guys and um, just get to know them. Um, I, there has been no hazing other than teams uh, pounding us <laughs> on, on a couple occasions, but um Hopefully, like I said, we're going to continue to get more more competitive when it comes to that. But um, no, I, I think it's been a good move. I mean, the BVC is made up of a lot of great communities, a lot of great school systems. Um, so we're we're proud to be a part of it, and looking forward to it expanding next year with Ada and Lipsit coming in. Um, that's kind of near and dear to my heart because I'm an Ada alumni from 1995. So that'll be pretty cool having the the team I grew up playing for uh, be in the same league as me. So.
1: Talking with Elmwood Head Boys basketball coach Ty Traxer here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic hits 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM. WFOB, and you were joking about some of the uh, BVC teams maybe uh, beating you, up, beating up on you a little bit, but you guys got to do you know a little bit of that your own way against uh, Lakota over the weekend. So what were some of the uh, things you saw from your team in, uh, in that big win?
4: Oh, well... The first and foremost is is we we were able to be resilient in that game, and I, and I feel like we have been really since the first of the year. Um, we came out, we di- we didn't play very well. We missed a bunch of shots. We turned the ball over, and we were actually behind at halftime. Um, so we ch- you know we challenged the kids at halftime to respond to adversity, and and they came out like gangbusters and and did that. Um, obviously, our our four year senior starting uh, starter uh, Cade Lentz had 40 that night so that was the fourth highest scoring total in Elmwood basketball history for a single game so that was pretty pretty exciting and pretty fun and we got some guys in the scoring column at the end of the game we had a, a senior who's first time on varsity come in and bank in a three and so it just it was a it was fun to when you're when you're three and nine it's just fun to win so we were we were happy about that
2: and looking a little bit more at Cade Luntz. I mean, just the the career he has had and just how much he has continued to grow and develop as a player has just been remarkable. Did you want to shed any more light on that, what you've seen from him, uh, especially this season where it's been a bit of a struggle to get going early, but like you've mentioned, seems to be getting your, getting your feet back under you here as the season has progressed.
4: Yeah, Cade's career has kind of been a weird trajectory. I mean, we... um his freshman year and sophomore year, he he didn't have to be the man. Um, we had Bryce Reynolds, and and you know I think we won 13 games and 16 games in, in the two seasons they played together. Um, the last two years have been a challenge for Cade because he hasn't had that second score, and he has had all of the attention focused on him. So um, he's really had to adapt his game and, and take on more of a leadership role and um, even be more aggressive than he had to be Uh, his first two years on varsity was scoring the ball. Um, you know, we rely, we rely a lot on him. We're slowly, we think developing some second and third scores that's going to be the key really to the rest of our season. But I mean, Cade's averaging, you know, over 20 a game. He's about, I think, 120 some points away from breaking Bryce's career scoring record of 1,396 points. So, um, that's something we're, we're kind of looking forward to. And, um, his shooting's been improving a lot too as the last few games have gone on which is is good to see. He was struggling a little bit from the line and from three point uh three point range but that's that's started to pick up. So this year he's rebounding a lot better. He's gotten a little stronger, a little taller. Um so he's averaging over 6 boards a game right now which is is big for us cuz we're not very big physically um when it comes to when it comes to size. So
1: maybe I just happen to, you know, like I like you said with the the start of the year, kind of being a different team. I've seen you guys a couple times since then. I, I you can tell me if I'm wrong. Is there a shot Cade doesn't like? Because I've <laughs> seen him make some volleyball line threes, so I know he can shoot from out there. Have you no. found a shot, or does he have a shot that he doesn't like, or is actually too far away?
4: Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's the, that's the easy, but the the one the one shot that he has definitely improved on is is attacking the glass um when he was a a freshman he was kind of built like my son owen who's a freshman point guard now um he was just a spindly spindly little guy who had some decent basketball skills and um he he made a lot of threes and he made a lot of mid-range floaters but now he's able to really attack the glass and get downhill and and that creates opportunities for all of our other guys to to get open looks
2: and one of those guys you mentioned earlier, obviously, with the injury. And my apologies. I, I will confess I, I don't know this offhand because unlike Lance, I have not gotten the luxury of getting to see you guys just yet. Hopefully we'll be changing that soon, Lance, on that <laughs> one. Um, you, you mentioned earlier Micah Oliver, one of your other seniors, the injury that he suffered during football. Is he back yet? Is he still up to speed? Is he still recovering? What What's the status with um, Micah Oliver in that regard?
4: Yeah, so he um he missed the entire preseason. I think the the unique thing for Micah unfortunately was he actually missed all of last season um with an injury that shut him down for pretty much the entire year. So, um he hasn't really played a lot of competitive basketball since his sophomore year on JV. So, um it's been a learning curve for him just just mentally um but he's he's really helped us rebounding the ball and and defending and um just doing a lot of the dirty work that we need to to try to attempt to be successful
1: and another thing we've been uh, curious about in talking with coaches is the thoughts on the rule changes this season particularly with getting rid of the one and ones and having the bonus start at uh, five fouls each quarter and having it reset rather than accumulating throughout the half we've heard the coaches that love it we've heard the coaches that really don't like it we've heard some in the middle as well kind of where would you say you stand on uh, on that rule change
4: well i i guess for the most part especially with the team we have this year i have i've liked it just because we foul a lot <laughs> we've been a little we've been a little slower than teams and not quite as strong as teams and so so we've resorted to, to fouling quite a bit so it, it at least delays putting teams on the line um however uh, and strategically i think it's kind of a fun kind of a fun change for coaches just to to rethink especially guys have been coaching for 25 years like i have just you know end of quarter situations last, last night for example against delta we we had two fouls to give at the end of the third quarter so we took those um and um cuz they had the ball with about 25 seconds left and we were able to to get them down to about three seconds where they had to the kind of desperation shot at the end of the third quarter. Um, the, the, the only, the only downfall to me that, that I've seen, and I've really seen it in some of these close games that we've lost is just the kid, the kids don't have as much pressure on them without when with having two shots. Um, that one and one was such a unique thing that, you could you could really make a run and and come back if a team started missing some front ends of one and ones and you just don't have that anymore. So, but I, I I like it overall.
2: And one of the things I've noticed with the rule change and again just kind of a follow up with that, it seems that it allows for the game to be, for lack of a better term, more aggressive since you do have that reset between quarters. Have you guys in the for? Elwood, your coaching staff, and just you in general, have you noticed that as well? It seems like seems like the fouls still hit with a little more oomph going into the end of the third quarter, middle of the fourth quarter, where they used to either taper off. He really started to have that calculus of okay, we only have two or three to give. Let's try and hold on to them. Now it's like, yeah, no, go ahead, go ahead get get them with the hard hack as they're going up for that layup.
4: Yeah, we've that's that's one thing we've preached a lot to our kids. We we've always been a physical, on-ball, defensive team, and um, this year we've been having having trouble with with straight line drives again. Some some of our youth and not being as strong and as fast as some of our opponents, and we've challenged our kids that if you're going to get beat for a straight line drive layup, you need to take a foul on the ground because um, we've got five that we can use. And um, yeah, I I think you can be more aggressive, especially. Um, if you get in foul trouble in the third quarter and in the past, maybe they teams could be in the one and one at the end of the third and be shooting, shooting double bonus by early in the fourth. Um, That definitely allows you to be more aggressive in the fourth quarter.
1: Talking with Elwood head boys, basketball coach Ty Traxler here on the NWO orthopedics sports huddle from the Frickers studios. And you mentioned it a little bit already, but having uh, both of your sons in uh, Owen and Andrew, both on the team and, you know, contributing on uh, the varsity level. What's it like Ben? having both, uh, both of your kids being able to uh, play for you and uh, that experience so far?
4: Uh, the short answer is nothing like I pictured it. Uh, <laughs> I Like I said, I've ever since I started coaching and I have my two boys and they've kind of grown up in the gym. You, you just have these grand visions of, of, hugs and high fives and and all that but it's what you find out is that you also raise two competitors like yourself and uh you know sometimes it's it's button heads and sometimes it's forgetting that that dad is is not dad on the basketball floor like he has been their whole lives and so that's been a challenge and um you know obviously with with them both getting injured and coming back to the team late and and that's that's been a challenge as well you know me as a father seeing them play all the way up through just has different expectations for how they could do and and sometimes that's been frustrating for me and that's challenged me to be a better coach and be a better dad but the toughest part of everything I think has been on my wife <laughs> because when you get when you get home after a game you just can never escape basketball every all the three guys in the house want to talk basketball and what went wrong and and what went right and um that's got got there's a special place in heaven for a coach's wife and i think there's a even even nicer part of heaven for one that has two boys that are playing for a coach so um but it's been it's been a joy to see him grow as the season's gone on i mean owens a owens a 14 year old point guard playing against 18 year old men so um it's it's been it's been unique to see him adapt to that and grow in that role and and we're going to be proud of him no matter what so
2: Oh well, I was going to ask Coach, uh, who who was the first one to initiate the leave basketball at basketball policy within the family, but it does sound like it was your wife then, who is uh the one who's probably taking charge on that one of hey, leave leave basketball at the gym when you come home, you come home kind of situation.
4: You have identified that one hundred percent correctly. Yes.
1: <laughs> I, you know what? My instincts are usually pretty strong on that. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, this Friday night, you guys are uh, getting ready for uh, now. Pandora Gilboa, a team that you know they themselves were kind of rolling up until last weekend when they finally lost uh, some of their first games of the season. So, what have been some of the things you've uh, seen from them in getting ready for Friday?
4: Uh, just just their overall athleticism. Um, you know they have they have five guys that can dribble, pass, and shoot. They're they're um, really active on the offensive end with back cutting and lobs and. Um, So that's going to be tough for us to defend. We think we have, we think we have a plan, but uh, again, they're very, very skilled offensively. Um, But really their bread and butter is just their defense. They, they just get after you. Um, They guard the ball hard. They get out in the passing lanes. They're, they're disruptive and um, they force you into a tough shot every single time down the floor. So that's going to be a challenge for us. We've had, we've had turnover problems um, we've had we've had bouts where we can't score and so um, that's that's going to be the biggest challenge for us going in um, I wish I, I wish we weren't the team that they were playing after losing two <laughs> games in a row <laughs> I could say that but I'm glad at least it's at our place and um, I think our kids will be up for the challenge you know like I said we we hopefully will have a game plan for them and and the kids for the most part have done a good job of trying to execute what we've come up with as coaches. So. Um, they're going to be a tough. They're going to be a tough out, obviously, um, being twelve and two, and um, they're only two losses to two really good teams. But um, we're going to we're going to show up and compete and and try to be tough.
2: And with that, coach, uh, obviously, you mentioned repeatedly, and I couldn't agree more that you guys have really started to get your stride as the calendar switched from twenty three to twenty four. Uh, do you feel this kind of game and this kind of matchup? coming in two two losses in a row for Pandora Gilboa, a little uncharacteristic for them, especially the year they're having, that this could actually be a pretty good litmus test as to like, hey, here's where we stand at the end of January. So now we can see where we're going to stand at that point at the end of February against a competitive team like this. Yeah,
4: or- I hesitate a little bit with that just because of, I mean, the volatility of one game at this point in the season. I mean, you just, if a team gets on a run and during the game and and, you know, gets ahead by 15 points i mean you just you, i i don't think you i don't think you base where you're at on just one game i think it's more the body of work and and looking at the whole picture of kind of where we've come from and um obviously we, we want to show up and we want to represent ourselves and play our guest best game every time we go on the floor so um that's what that's what we'll be focused on is are we continuing to get better um as we come towards the bulk of the of our schedule so
2: and uh and follow-up, because I, I have to ask, because Elmwood has, first of all, one of my favorite venues. I, I absolutely love the facilities you guys have there. I think it's a great venue. But you also have a castle, <laughs> Coach. And we were talking off air that there's apparently some history and some depth behind the castle itself. And I, I I would not be doing my job as a broadcaster or a journalist if I didn't ask about that.
4: So, Absolutely. So... Um, back in our old gym, which uh, closed in 2004 when we moved to the new building, um, they used to have a, a wooden castle that hung on the wall above the door to the gym. And uh, they started a tradition. It was it was on like a drawstring or pulley system that they lowered it for the starting lineups and the, the kids ran through it. So when we came over to the new building, um, Doug Reynolds was the head coach at the time. I was his JV coach. Um, he decided to, to inter, inter, institute a spotlight, um, which I believe they may have had a spotlight at the other gym too. Um, but we, we, had, we have the music that we play and the kids run out with the spotlight on the castle. Uh, the castle now is much, much more sturdy, I'll say, than uh, the one that was in the old gym. Uh, the one we have now was made by a student about six, seven years ago um, for a shop project. And it it became it used to be a plywood one. Now it's a very, very sturdy, heavy one that takes about six or seven people to drag out and set there. And uh, another tradition we've added to running out of the castle um, is that our starting lineup and then everybody follows the last guy is they run out of the castle to the spotlight and they run up and they hit the jersey we have on the wall of a, a senior of mine that passed in 2015 right before the season, Derek Sheldon. Um, and the reason we do that is, is, I mean, most of these kids have no idea who Derek Sheldon was, but it's just our reminder that every time we step on the floor, it could be the last time we step on the floor. And, um, so that's why they smack that Jersey is just to remind themselves that to give it everything they got. Cause you never know when it's going to be your last time out there. So,
1: and now of course, looking ahead to this one, already talking about what you see on the PG side. So just kind of what's overall the message to the team and the families, because like you were saying, you don't want to base anything, you know, on just one particular game, just kind of about the body of work. So what is kind of the message to the team as you start to, you know, transition into the second half of your schedule?
4: Uh, well, with Pandora specifically, as I kind of mentioned with their defense, we have to we have to have less than 10 turnovers to, to have a shot to win the game. Um, the biggest thing with them, too, is handling their runs. That's one thing we talk about a lot is when a team makes a run, having a a good offense possession and then followed up with a good defense possession and and react to those runs. Um, That's, that's an important thing for us and that's something I feel like we've been getting better at. Um, So that's a big message going in Uh, with Pandora. You got to obviously limit uh, number three, the Harris kids um, touches. I mean, he's, he's a a really good scorer and they have several of them, but um, they're not as good when he's not scoring. So that, that's a big focus. And then, and then just, with with pandora especially just having that underdog mentality right that we've got nothing to lose something goes bad just move on to the next play that's kind of one of our big mantras is is next play something goes wrong can't do anything to fix it just move on and so so we'll be focused on that just playing one play at a time
1: this has been elmwood head boys basketball coach ty Traxter. coach thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us and good luck throughout the rest of the way
4: all right guys i appreciate it Hopefully, uh, hopefully, Matthew can uh, get a new computer.
2: We're going to do our best on that one. Uh, gremlins everywhere. I need to stop feeding them after midnight. That's all <laughs> that happens there,
4: Coach. All right. Thanks, guys.
1: With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Pandora Giboa, head coach of their boys' basketball team, Mike Lee, here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios.
0: Everyday values are at only one place, Frickers. Monday, boneless frickin' chicken wings. Tuesday, traditional frickin' chicken wings. Wednesday is all about that steak. Thursday, frickin' chicken chunks. Frickers, where kids 10 and under eat free every day. Remember, draft beer specials, everyday values, and kids eat free every day. The home for money-saving value is the home for fun, food, sports, and spirits, Frickers.
3: Morgan Advanced Materials has had a great 2023, and as the semiconductor industry soars, so does the demand for our products. The Fostoria Performance Carbon Division is scaling up our operations and expanding. We'd like you to be a part of our innovative team. Morgan Advanced Materials is hiring for multiple positions, including industrial and quality engineers, electrical controls engineers, capital projects engineers, EH EH&S generalists, and electrical project engineers. So come join our team that produces state-of-the-art electrical carbon products that are vital for our future economy. Are you ready to make an impact? Impact? Make your mark on future generations? So apply today and join our team at Morgan Advanced Materials located in Fostoria, Ohio. Call us at 419-889-1300 or head to MorganAdvancedMaterials.com to launch a career that strives to make this world a better place.
1: Seneca Millwork is now hiring. They have a starting pay of $18.04 an hour with a raise to $18.31 after 90 days with a shift differential of $0.25 an hour for the third shift. Seneca Millwork offers medical, vision, dental, life insurance, and a 401k contribution. Apply online at SenecaMillwork.com or apply online through Indeed. Come work at Seneca Millwork, located at 300 court place in Faustoria, Seneca Millwork, part of the Ropi Holding Company family. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFB Classic Hits 96.7, WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night, this Friday night. We'll have coverage of BBC basketball. We'll have the Pandora Gaboa Rockets taking on the Elmwood Royals. Matt Brown and I will have that one for you. Friday night on Classic. It's 96.7. We're now pleased to be joined by Pandora Giboa, Head Boys basketball coach Mike Lee here in the Frickers Zoom Room. Coach, how you doing? Doing good. How about yourself, Lance? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you again for uh, taking the time to talk with us. Always, uh, always appreciate getting to catch up with you. Yep, sure thing. So for you, what was it like uh, getting ready for the season uh, this time around? Obviously, things have, you know, been, you know, different over these last years, but finally, of course, settling into the new normal or new normalcy, however you want to phrase that, would have been – what were some of the things like uh, getting ready for this season?
5: Yeah, most of it, uh, like you alluded to, Lance, most of it was pretty much normal. We got just a little bit of a later start due to the uh, football success. But, uh, again, we gave those those football kids, you know, a little bit of time to make sure that they were uh, ready to roll. But, again, I had – I was pretty fortunate because I had quite a few kids – uh, that were either in another fall sport or no fall sports at all. So we were kind of able to just run uh, kind of off the ground running, you might say.
2: And and coach, with that gearing up for the season, I know we're a lot later in the season now as we're approaching February at this stage. But uh, what have been some of your takeaways from what your expectations were going into the season versus where you guys are at currently at this stage?
5: well uh good question because again you know our kids had some success last year 18 wins is uh you know we were very very appreciative of that um but on the flip side when you're playing in two leagues and you finish in third place uh kind of our method to madness you might say was unfinished business um and we had a lot of kids that put in quite a bit of time over last spring and last summer so um you know we didn't really spell out the expectations but i think our kids uh, knew going in that okay we have we have some things that you know we'd love to improve upon so uh with that being said we had a lot of experience coming back you know three of the kids that start uh have pretty much started every game uh this season for us this is their fourth year of varsity basketball and you don't get that year in and year out so ultimately um that was a major plus going into the year.
1: Talking with Pandora Gabo ahead, boys basketball coach Mike Lee here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. As you allude to, always a big thing for you guys, you know, playing in the multiple leagues, playing in the BBC and in the Putnam County League. So, You know, just kind of what is that balance for you, like you mentioned, because you were you were just outside uh, looking in on the BVC a year ago. And like like you mentioned, actually, we're at third, which is surprising to me in the Putnam County League. So, you know, how is it just balancing when almost every game you guys play is a league game in one or the other?
5: Yeah, that's true. It's uh, it's difficult. Um, naturally preparation for the BBC, um was pretty much like it is in most leagues where, you know, you're preparing pretty much Monday through, <clears throat> excuse me, Monday through Thursday relative to getting ready for your Friday night league game. But <laughs> we have multiple occasions where we're either playing on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Saturday. Uh, as of right now, we do not have a Wednesday or Thursday Putnam County league game. So it really, really offers some unique challenges. and ultimately, it's a matter of preparation, uh, making sure that your kids are, you know are prepared going in. But uh, again, it's different because you know, again, you know that that that's that's just a major challenge when you're when you're playing in both leagues.
2: And coach, I, I know the obvious answer is that both leagues take a priority. both leagues are equally as important with that those unique challenges does it ever come a situation where let's say for example hypothetical okay we're first in the bvc but we're third in the putnam county at at any point does the calculus change to maybe focusing more on the bvc as opposed to the putnam county or vice versa or I, i i've always been curious about how that calculus works out as the season goes on
5: Well, again, our kids have done a very good job and uh, we've tried to stay low key relative to, okay, one, uh, like a lot of other coaches, one game at a time, you only look, you you don't look any further ahead or down the road. Um, But again, very good question, but it's ultimately, it it comes down to uh, we don't place or I have not placed one league in front of the other, no matter what position or place that we were in. Um, when you've had the success that we have we have had here the last couple of years, um, you know, you're basically, you're, you're going to get everybody's best shot, no matter if it's BVC, PCL, or non-league. And again, thus far, our kids have done a pretty decent job of ultimately just approaching. And hopefully we as coaches have done the same thing relative to just making sure that, okay, you, you can't look any further even though you may have two league games on a Friday, Saturday night. And ultimately, yeah, we would love to have a full week preparation for the Putnam County League, but sometimes you just don't get that.
1: This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM WFOB Lance Morris Matt Common talking with Pandora Gaboa Head Boys basketball coach Mike Lee and for the first time this year a couple losses for you guys in those matchups uh, against Arlington and Delphi St. John's what were some of the things you uh, saw from your team over the weekend?
5: Well, ultimately, um, again, you got to, I think I mentioned this after our Friday night game, you have to give credit where credit is due. So first of all, two very good basketball teams, two very well-coached basketball teams. um, They didn't really present a major challenge, like, okay, we haven't seen that particular defense or something that we had not seen before. Um, But ultimately, both of those teams coming in... um, you know they took some things away from us uh that um that we had been able to do successfully against some other squads um combine that with you know when you don't shoot it very well whether that be from the free throw line whether that be from the three-point line um you put some of those combinations together and ultimately you've got uh you know you have a chance to to get beat and that's what happened to us uh, on both nights but again um, both of those teams were very, very well prepared and ultimately, you know, it's like when we come back to practice this week, it's like, okay, we haven't had, you know, we've not experienced that loss, um, you know, this late in the year. So I'm going to be anxious throughout the course of the week. Uh, I've got very good kids to see what, uh, what our preparation and, and what they come back and practice, uh, this particular week, getting ready for Friday
2: and looking ahead to this week of practice in particular from a- anything that you saw on the film that really stood out to you or was it just two good opponents? I mean, it's, it's not like you guys lost to necessarily, pardon me for saying this for any of the teams out there listening, you didn't necessarily lose to any nobodies. So was there anything in that film that really stood out there that want, that you want to have be the focus this week, or is it really just addressing the adversity of, Hey, we've had these losses now let's see how we can rally.
5: Well, again, good question. I, I I can't put a total finger on, okay, this is why we got beat on Friday and this is why we got beat on Saturday. However, um, you know, it's my job to go back and take a look at, okay, whether it be, you know, a turnover here or there or a clock situation. You know, when you're playing in two pretty close games, even though the Delphi's game ended up, I think, what, eight or nine, But we had it down to three or four, two or three different stretches in the second half. And so, again, my job or our job is to go back and how can we correct? How can we, um, you know, make sure that, you know, when we when we're presented with situations like this again, that we clean it up or hopefully do better. And so, again, that's where, again, from my end. you know it, it, it there was not one specific or two specific areas but again when you're when you combine maybe you don't rebound in a situation or you don't hit free throws or you turn the ball over and you put all of those together um that's how you get beat in in in, in crunch time situations
1: Talk with pandora gaboa head boys basketball coach mike lee here on the nwo orthopedics sports huddle from the fricker studios and another thing we've uh, been curious in talking with the different coaches is about the new rules for the season, getting rid of the one and ones and having the bonus start at five fouls each quarter. And we were, you know, joking before we went on the air. It's it's I'm not as I'm not as young as you might think I had been. So you, you certainly are somebody who's been around and seen the different iterations of these different rules. So what is your thoughts on uh, the different changes and how they've played uh, played itself out so far this year?
5: Um, yeah, naturally the biggest one is the, is the free throw situation. And again, being the old timer that I am and would like to keep as much consistency, uh, throughout the course of the game, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the change. I was surprised, uh, when it did come about, especially for the reasoning that they gave for the change surprised me. Um, I have seen, I've witnessed games where uh, there's a lot of flow to a game. And then all of a sudden, when one or two teams get in that situation where the fifth foul is reached in a quarter, the game just slows to a crawl. Um, We've had that happen once or twice, but actually, I've, I've actually seen, you know, witnessed more games, going to games where, you know, again, the flow to the game is very, very good. And then all of a sudden it just, you know, comes to a screeching halt. Um, again, I, you know, by now we should be used to it. We are used to it. But, again, I, you know, if I had my my own personal biases, let's go back to the old because it takes a little bit of the strategy out of the situation as well.
2: Well, Coach, allow me to say, first of all, Age is only a number. You're you're as old, you're as old or as young as you want to be at a particular time. You're fine on that one. Um but but I am curious because I'm very much the same mindset you are, where it's I, I didn't necessarily understand the the reasoning behind the change. One of the ones that I heard repeatedly was to help prevent more aggressive play and harder fouls throughout the game. Maybe it's just me but it feels like the games have actually gotten more aggressive and the contact has gotten more aggressive and the fouls have kind of been coming in a little bit more intensely for lack of a better term with this rule change because no longer carries over the half and you get that reset. So all of a sudden you're back at square one going into the next quarter. Have you gotten that same type of reaction or thought as this uh, new rule has been implemented?
5: Uh, no question, no doubt, Matthew, that's exactly correct. Um, you know, the reasoning behind it was to clean up some of the, uh, physical play within the free throw lane itself. And again, throughout the course of this season, um, you know, again, games, it's just officiated. And again, you know, they have their job. We have our job as coaches, but it just seems as if Um, you know, there is more, uh, play where maybe, you know, as they say, what used to be a foul 10, 15 years ago was no longer a foul. Um, but, but, but again, it's like, I've told our kids and I'm sure other coaches do this as well. You have to adjust every crew that you see coming in um you know you're you you should know within the first two three minutes of the first quarter you know how it's going to be officiated whether you know it's going to be closely called or whether they're going to allow certain areas you know to to kind of just be you know be less and less of an issue so again that's that that's difficult for kids you know they're programmed to you know to do what they do but ultimately you know we as coaches and hopefully as players they just have to adjust
1: this is the nw orthopedics sports huddle from the fricker studios classic it's 96 7 wbvi espn 1430 am 105.7 fm wfob Lance morris matt common talking with pandora gaboa head boys basketball coach mike lee and the harris brothers have been some key players as you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier on over these last few years and it it does happen occasionally. I know in one of the games, at least over the weekend, it was the case, but it's pretty rare that one of them is not your leading score. You know, when the game is all said and done. So kind of, what can you say about uh, both the Harris's and Colin and Aiden and their growth growth over these last few seasons?
5: Well, ultimately again, what I, I, th- I think I mentioned earlier about, you know, some of the time that, you know, some kids have put in last spring and last summer, but you know, if you combine what those two have done, uh, in the off season um you know it's a it's a message that uh needs to be stated for your younger kids in the program to see you know you 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 reap the rewards of the time and effort that those guys have put in um the thing about both of them especially Aiden because you know Aiden when he first started playing at the varsity level his freshman sophomore year um you know we needed somebody to score the basketball and he provided that in his younger years um but the thing that's so impressive about him he's elevated uh from his sophomore to his junior to his junior to his senior year relative to just he's added another piece and um that naturally just makes life more difficult for opposing defenses and it, again that's a credit to you know to him um it, because again, he's just, uh, he's now a complete basketball player. Um, Colin has developed just as just as much. Um, he does not have, you know, if you look at the numbers, uh, scoring wise, he's not where his brother is. But there are so many other categories that that young man, uh, if he doesn't lead us, He's very much a part of in the top in the in, in the top two, and he's very integral in what we do at both ends of the floor. And his basketball, as they say, his basketball IQ uh, is right up there as well. So again, with w- with those two brothers, we've got two good leaders on the floor.
2: And talking about the Harris brothers, and kind of looking just broader picture, Pandora Gilboa as a whole. I mean, Coach, you definitely have been. Involved in the program and involved in the school for a decent bit of time. What can you tell us about what you see in terms of just the growth and consistency as really Pandora Gabo kind of becoming almost a de facto powerhouse in terms of being one of the top teams within both conferences, kind of year in and year out? I mean, is it really just luck of the class that you have, or have you really seen like a culture change and growth there at PG that's really? kept this thing going for as long as it has
5: well when you're matt when you're involved with uh you know again s- small school rule rule small school um you know again the kids are involved in all kind of activities which is great you know you want them i want them to be involved in as many sports or as many extra you know as many extracurriculars as possible however <clears throat> if you're going to develop and be a part of what what you hope is a competitive program you've got to you, you have to be willing to make commi- commitments you know and again other schools other players are doing this are, are doing those types of things um, but you have to be willing to sacrifice and this particular class of seniors i've got an experienced group uh, but they bought in when they were youngsters, they, they had some success in junior high. Um, but ultimately when you buy in and are willing to do, to put in the time and so forth, uh, throughout the, you know, throughout the months of November to February, um, you know, you, you hopefully reap that success and we're trying to do that right
1: now. Talking with Pandora a head boys, basketball coach, Mike Lee on the NWO orthopedics sports auto here from the Frickers studios. Looking ahead to Friday night, you guys take on Elmwood, a team that, at least in the times that I've got to see them this year, they're better than that record shows. Especially when they are kind of clicking on all cylinders. So, what have been some of the things you've kind of seen from them in uh, getting ready for Friday?
5: Well, you hit the nail on the head. We haven't uh, we haven't really uh, honed in yet on personnel and so forth. We'll do that as the week progresses. Uh, but most definitely, they yeah. Y- Again, there this is a ball club. You just like you said, you cannot look at just BVC slash overall record because um if you look at the scores, if you look at some of the things that they have improved upon here in the last four or five weeks, uh you can see that it's starting to come. I'm hoping they wait a little bit longer than after Friday this this Friday night. Uh, but they've gotten better. And that's a credit to Coach Traxler and what he's doing with uh, you know, with with, with his with his kids, with his program, um, you know he's got an outstanding senior uh, that we're going to have to know where he's at on the floor come Friday night. But again, he's getting some uh, quality minutes and experience from some youngsters, which is only going to help him down the road.
2: And coach, with that game as well, and being at Elmwood, one of those uh, one of those venues that's always interesting to play. Can, can you talk about that experience for a road game like that, especially? Over the past week, week and a half, where games have kind of been canceled up in the air and all that, how do you get ready for that type of venue? I mean, they do have a castle wall in their gym for Pete's <laughs> sake. Uh, it's like that. That that's. I don't want to say I get intimidated, but I'm curious where you stand on that. One
5: well again i don't i'm gonna be honest with you i i I don't elude uh there's too many other areas that uh that i'm concerned about as the head coach (laughs) making sure again our kids are as prepared as we can going in uh you want them to have uh atmosphere uh when they play whether that be home or away but yeah it's 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 a definite uh it's a different venue it's a different environment um so Again, you know, when you're talking experienced kids, you hope that they don't get caught up in, you know, all the extras or whatever that go on. And it's like I tell them, when the ball gets tipped, uh, you better be ready for, you know, for 32 minutes of solid basketball. So that's hopefully will be our message going in uh, once again this week.
2: So real quick before Lance jumps in, just confirming no particular strategy concerning Castle walls.
5: Is what I'm here. Uh, n- no, no, uh, no particular strategy uh, going into Freddie. No, not not in man, terms of man, the castle I, walls.
2: I, I I really need to relearn the game of basketball. Then that's all I'm here.
1: <laughs> and you uh, you kind of alluded to it as well, Coach. But uh, as we've kind of talked. The, the next uh, few matchups for you guys don't uh, don't get too much easier because in the next week or two, you have uh, Liberty Benton and Bluffton is another some of your matchups. So I, I guess just overall, what's the message to your team with, you know, obviously you have some important games to play before then. But, you know, the, le- the second half of your season, certainly uh, certainly not on the easier side to, to put it mildly.
5: Well, once again, if you start looking at the, the the whole quality of, OK, we play Friday, Saturday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, um, you know, again, I could uh, I, I, I need to load up on the Excedrin. Uh, uh, but again, <laughs> the approach has to be, you know, again, just just like you said, next weekend, it's difficult matchup Friday, difficult matchup Saturday. But ultimately, um, again, it comes down to making sure that your kids are as prepared as they can be for the one and only game that's in front of you. And then we'll, we'll start addressing Saturday come Saturday morning when we get the, you know, when we get the kids together, because again, they've, uh, you know, like every other, like every other team, um, at this time of the year, you want to be challenged. That's only going to help you as you get prepped for uh, tournament play, which is hard to believe, but not too far away. Um, so You know, our schedule is set to where there are many, many challenges in front of us before we uh, before we get to the end of February. And I think, you know, from from my perspective, you want that type of a challenge um, heading into tournament play.
1: This has been Pandora Gaboa Head Boys basketball coach, Mike Lee. Coach, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us and good luck throughout the rest of the season.
5: Hey, thanks a bunch, guys. Appreciate it.
1: With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk NFL playoff action here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Ficker Studios.
0: It's cash for cars at Warner Economy Corner in Findlay. Not much has changed with the shortage of good quality used cars, but Warner Economy Corner is looking to buy. At the corner of Blanchard and Blanchard, Warner Economy Corner is paying cash for cars. Bring your vehicle down to the guys at Warner Economy Corner and go home with cash in hand. Warner Economy Corner is buying cars and making deals. Open daily Monday through Friday.
3: The Northwestern Water and Sewer District now has two watersheds in Fostoria
1: to get pure water at a low price. Watersheds are located off of Plaza Drive on the north end
3: of town and our newest location near 4th and Finley Streets. If you don't like the taste of well water, try watershed water. Just bring your own containers and fill up for a quarter
1: a gallon. Try watershed water today. For all locations, go to
3: nwwsd.org.
1: Back we are on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM. WFWB Classic, it's 96.7 WBVI Lance Morris. Matt Cobbin here with you this Wednesday night. Big thanks to Ty Traxler from Elmwood along with Mike Lee from Pandora. Gaboa for joining us. Today on the show, if you missed any part of our show or just want to hear it again, head over to wfb.com click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons as well. We can also be found on Apple Podcasts as well. We might not be physically at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials. Tonight, get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Download the Frickers app to see more and to place an order. Find them online at Frickers.com. And Matt, before we can talk about uh, the divisional games, let's... Uh, talk about a few coaching moves or really lack thereof with the Cowboys electing officially to stick with Mike McCarthy and the Eagles do the same with Nick Sirianni, although they did make a couple uh, changes to the staff beneath Sirianni. Do you think uh, one or both of those moves were ultimately the right moves to make in those uh, two NFC East teams? Uh,
2: Eagles, yes, but there's a big asterisk attached to it. I think the wrong person got fired out of the uh, defense coordinator, as well as uh, Brian Johnson, both uh, the OC and DC getting let go, but Sirianni remained. I think the staff should have remained in place, and I think Howie Rossman was the one that should have been shown the door, the general manager. Um, Make no mistake, Nick Sirianni and that coaching staff didn't do themselves a lot of favors this season, certainly would put themselves in a make-or-break for next year. But Howie Rossman has been on this weird only-drafting-Georgia-players kick for like two, three years now it's kind of panned out, but by the same token, they really haven't done a lot to address some of the more glaring needs that have presented themselves over the past two seasons, even with that Super Bowl run. That Super Bowl run last year kind of masked a decent bit of problems chief among them that this is a paper-thin roster once you get past the starting lineup, and I, I really don't think They necessarily have the depth that a team with the playoff aspirations that the Eagles have. I don't think they have the depth that they should. And I think that's a significant problem. That's not Sirianni. That's not Brian Johnson. That's not Usay. I believe I'm saying his name correctly, the defensive coordinator who was there. And then it was Matt Patricia for a few weeks. That's not their problem. That's a Howie Rossman problem. So I think he should have been let go. If you're going to let go of anybody, and give this coaching staff a little bit of time to develop, because now Jalen Hurts is going to be on his third offensive coordinator in three years. That's not a recipe for success. We've, we've all been Cleveland fans at some point. We know constant turnover does not yield success. So, I, I yes, I think Sirianni deserved to stick around. I think the rest of the coaches should have gotten another chance as well, but we'll see what they end up doing with it. Uh, Mike McCarthy keeping the job. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just sorry. I think he should have been let go. It's not so much a matter of him being a bad coach. I don't think he's a bad coach. I just don't think he's the right coach for Dallas. I really don't. It's, I I, I just really don't feel that the personnel they have in place there, what they're trying to do, how they're trying to get everything up and running. I just don't think he's the right guy. And I, I'll, I'll be the, uh, harbinger of doom here a little bit especially with some of the coaches that are still out there that dallas is electing not to go after i don't know how deep the well is next year for a coaching staff and like head coaching prospects that you might be looking at a dallas rebuild which terrifies me to think of that prospect another rebuild last time they did it it was a dynasty for a decade so We'll see. I, I don't think it was the right move. I think McCarthy should have been let go, especially in the manner that they just got taken for a walk by Green Bay in that postseason game. But maybe there's something behind the scenes that we don't know with McCarthy. Maybe they're working something out. Maybe they feel they can get a really good season of personnel moves and it'll be fine, but I don't know. I, I, McCarthy does not strike me as the kind of guy that deserves to have this much staying power for insert reason.
1: We do have one coaching change that uh, does look like it is going to uh, be effective here shortly as the Titans look like they're going to be hiring Brian Callahan as their head coach. He comes over from Cincy as their offensive coordinator. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't think it's going to work, but I also feel like it's kind of a tale of two coins in Cincy because so much of it has been oh, Joe Burrow has kind of helped make everything around him great, and maybe it's just because of what we've seen from Jake Browning, if nothing else, for over the last uh, six weeks or so that maybe that has kind of shifted the narrative just a little bit. But I feel like with if you're going to pin all, or a lot of at least, the success of the Bengals on what Joe Burrow and what you know Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, those receivers, and the offensive skill guys have done as a whole – that also kind of devalues it when people around the league are like, oh, yeah, the Bengals are just good because they have good players. It's not that they're doing anything, you know, sexy or special. It's just they have good players, they line up, they do good things, and that's why they had been successful these last few years. So kind of what is your thought process on uh, this move uh, for the Titans?
2: Uh, it, It's a tough call. I mean, Brian Callahan's been a name that's been tossed around for a couple years now as an up-and-comer in the league. Um, Comes off of that Zach Taylor, Sean McVay coaching tree. His dad, Bill Callahan, has been a staple in the NFL for almost 30 years at this point. It's, It's not a bad hire, but I run into the same problem I do whenever it's a Bill Belichick coaching tree hire. Who was really the one doing the coaching? Who was the one making the decis- decisions on the field during game day? If you tell me that Brian Callahan is exclusively responsible for the entire offensive game plan for the Cincinnati Bengals, okay, might actually be a good hire. Maybe he's this wonder kid that we just aren't aware of at this stage. Flip side of that, though, Zach Taylor was the offensive coordinator with Sean McVay. He's the head coach there in Cincinnati. I'm pretty sure he's the one who calls the plays. So with that in mind, was Brian Callahan really just a placeholder type of offensive coordinator? You know, help managing things, maybe similar mindset, similar ideas and philosophies. But it's really Zach Taylor. And you kind of touched on one, the whole chicken or the egg situation. Is it the coach or is it the player? Joe Burrow may be a once in a generation player at the quarterback position. Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, I can only think of maybe two, maybe three other receiving rooms that are better than that Cincinnati room. And again, is that Brian Callahan or is that the fact that T. Higgins was the number one receiver for Deshaun Watson and then Trevor Lawrence? And then Jamar Chase was the number one receiver for Joe Burrow for his massive season he had in college. I mean, it's. It's a tough call. I I would say, usually I like to give out grades for these. I would give this one a B- minus because pedigree-wise, Callahan is a good move. He comes from a pretty stable system. Cincinnati, Tennessee, they're similar personalities in terms of play style, in terms of community and stuff like that, so he should fit in. I just don't know if he's necessarily the guy or the guy holding the position while the real guy was actually calling the plays. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it it might be a good hire. We'll see. I mean, it could be a heck of a motivator, and maybe that's what they need because, I, I mean, Mike Vrabel, great motivator in his own right. So maybe you end up needing just another motivator. Maybe it's just a different voice that you need down in Tennessee, but. I don't know. It, it definitely feels like a step down for me, for Mike Vrabel to Brian Callahan.
1: Now let's take a look back at the divisional round of the postseason, the AFC. The Ravens start a bit slow, but then handle the Texans 34-10. The Chiefs basically outlast the Bills on Sunday. It also uh, didn't uh, hurt that uh, Tyler Bass missed the game-tying field goal late in the game as well. The Chiefs get that three point win in the NFC. Kind of a back and forth game with the Niners and the Packers, but the Niners able to pull that one out. And then, as you alluded to off the top, the Lions made enough plays to beat one of your many teams in the Bucks, thirty one to twenty three. Many teams. If it's more than one, it becomes many.
2: Set. Yep, we're not going to go there. We're just not going to go there. I'm sorry. Please, please continue.
1: What are your thoughts, Matt, on the games from the divisional round? Well,
2: first of all, I would be more than happy to cover the um, therapy bill of the entire city of Buffalo. Wide right again? Like, let it get blocked. Have it go wide left and say, wide right again, and Jim Nance giving the call the same way as the Super Bowl wide right call? My, my God, I was uh, wa- watching that game and then watching stuff. After that. You would have imagined that these fans were like witnessing just war again. Like the, the pain and anguish on it. That was brutal. The way they lost it in Buffalo, that, that just gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching loss. Um, In, in regards to the Houston Baltimore game, I mean, hats off to Houston. They made it, a, they made it a game for two and a half quarters. Then Lamar Jackson remembered he's Lamar Jackson and suddenly it was no longer a game. But it, look, that Houston team, if I'm on any team in the NFL, AFC South, AFC in general, I'm starting a game plan for them next year. Cause if you get that team healthy with tank Dell, Nico Collins, they go out and get another receiver, maybe a more complimentary backfield tandem fix the D-line just a little bit. What they have with C.J. Stroud there and what he was doing with the backups because of the injuries. My God, the future looks bright in Houston. I I would not want to play them. Simple as that. G- Green Bay, San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco has been Green Bay's kryptonite for about 15 years now. In the postseason, just kind of seemed inevitable. But I, I think if you're a Green Bay fan, you got to like what you saw. I mean, this was supposed to be a down year. And you make it to the divisional round and make a game of it against the number one seed. So you got to be happy if you're a green Bay fan, Jordan love. It looks like they magically fell into another franchise quarterback, which just aggravates me to know it. How do teams do that? Like Indianapolis (laughs) does that all the time. San Diego's done that all the time or now LA, excuse me. Just how, How does that happen again and again and again? It's just infuriating.
1: I don't don't have the actual answer. (laughs) What was that? I don't have an actual answer. I don't know. Yeah,
2: I mean, you you go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. And by the time you get to that wildcard game against Dallas, Jordan Love is making throws that only Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre used to make. It's just like, really? You're getting a combination of those two now? Like, that's just, it's just not fair. But, I mean, for the Packers, hats off to them. Good drafting, good building it up. That they, they, they are not going anywhere. And the fact that they did that in a, what was supposed to be a down year, phenomenal for them. And, honestly, same thing for Tampa Bay. Like, they, they were projected going into it. I, I may have been one of the few people actually saying they might have a good year. If I remember earlier sports huddles from this season, but the, the fact they were projected by many to be the second or third worst team in the NFL, beat the defending NFC champions, and then made a game of it against Detroit. My God, if you're a Bucks fan, it's, yeah, you want Baker Mayfield back. I, he It looks like he's really a great fit down there. You want to bring back Mike Evans. You want to build off of this going forward. And it, it, it should be a good time in Tampa going forward now. This looks like it could be a really good team for the foreseeable future, if they keep the pieces parts together and watching Detroit play, man, I got to eat so much crow about trash in the Dan Campbell hire. I (laughs) really do. I thought that was such a bad hire in the moment. My God, has he built a culture in Detroit, just a gutty, nasty, hard hitting team that I mean, for my money, which I, I don't bet during the postseason I let the football gods decide the outcomes on that one. But I, I really think Detroit could beat San Francisco. I truly do. San Francisco looked very human against Green Bay. So I, I don't know. I mean, that Detroit team, they are very talented. They've got a lot of good players and a lot of key positions and they're getting MVP discussion Jared Goff performances again from that one year they went to the Super Bowl with the Rams. So kind of gained a little bit of everything that you need out of them. Detroit's looking impressive. it It made for a fun weekend of football. Sad because my team lost one of what? But, but I got over in like five minutes because they weren't even supposed to be there to begin with. So no great divisional weekend. Great round of football well,
1: and I think at least stick in with the Detroit theme for a moment. I'm not going to discount Dan Campbell by any stretch because I'm just not. But how much has it helped that it seems that he has also just built a great staff around him when both your offensive and defensive coordinators are getting head coaching looks around the league? That certainly certainly helps things in Detroit. But also, just Jared Goff now, again, he's not the upper echelon of quarterbacks. I think we can both agree on that. But he's... You know, he's certainly above that median, you know, at the very least. And when he's been able to do the things he has, it has helped make that team that much better because you think back to him in with the Rams and, you know, he, it started so rocky with just the Jeff Fisher, just overall, just Jeff Fisher experience and being there. It made things look that much worse with the Rams. Then it turns around a little bit. Sean McVay is able to, you know, revitalize things, leads them, of course, to the Super Bowl. They end up losing to the Patriots. But then after that, it just kind of became the also Rams of oh, Jared Goff's like okay, but he's not, he's just not good enough for what the Rams were trying to do. And obviously, it's not exactly what they're doing in Detroit because it's a different offensive scheme. But it's just the fact that he's been able to. Essentially revitalize what was not a terrible career by any stretch, because he made it to a Super Bowl with the Rams his first go round with Sean McVay. But if he is able to in fact get back to another Super Bowl with the Lions with Dan Campbell, I mean that just that's just another one of the mind blowing stories because we we've talked about it many times. The Lions this just isn't a spot the Lions have been because in my lifetime, they literally have not been in this spot before. And now that they're there with Jared Goff, with all these other guys that, you know, not everybody's been, you know, kind of castaways the same way that Goff has been, but you can kind of say that about guys like David Montgomery too. He's been bounced around a little bit, you know, from his earlier time in Chicago. So it's just that much more interesting to a storyline that is already very interesting on its own.
2: Well, and really what Detroit's done is they've Again, this goes back to Dan Campbell and um, management. They built a culture around what they had. Jared Goff, he's he's not going to win you Super Bowls, but what you got to understand about him is, unless you force him to be in a position to try and win games, he's not going to lose you any games either. He, he's he's Ryan Tannehill. He's Kirk Cousins. You know what I mean? It's he's he's just above that mid tier, like you alluded to but just under that top 10 kind of situation. Like, I, I I can guarantee there's probably about 10 or 11 teams in the NFL that'd be happy to have Jared Goff as their starting quarterback week in and week out. But with Detroit, I mean, what they've done, bringing in a good big-body receiver like Amon Ross St. Brown, having a speedster with Jameson Williams, getting... The one-two combo that some of us, to be candid, kind of mocked a little bit on draft day. Oh, I was going to say, there, Gibbs, there, were, there were a
1: lot of people that were like, Jameer Gibbs, this high? What are you doing? And then they start doing things, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, no, we we kind of get it.
2: So, I I mean, getting that one-two combo of Montgomery and Gibbs, I mean, they, closest comparison I can remember kind of building back that old uh, Chris Johnson, Lendale White era from Tennessee, for all those years, Uh, having that Thunder-Lightning combo. The defense is just gritty as all get-out, and I I attribute that to Aaron Glenn, who the fact that there's, what, four positions still open for coaching right now? You got Atlanta, you got the Chargers, Panthers is still open, and then there's another one, I believe. Um, Commanders. Commanders, thank you the fact that that job is still open tells me Aaron Glenn is going to be the head coach for one of those four teams here coming up just because what he's done with Detroit, very similar to what Demeco Ryans did in San Francisco with that defense. So I, I couldn't agree more. I think the staff is phenomenal. I think they've built a very impressive program in Detroit. And I again, have to give credit where credit's due to the kneecap biter himself, Dan Campbell guy comes into his introductory press conference like he just you know direct lined into his veins six shots of espresso (laughs) and a pre-workout coming in talking about biting kneecaps taking chunks out of people and everyone laughed at him and we we all thought what a clown that they hired a typical detroit move kind of thing he's been phenomenal Honestly, he may be the best thing that's happened to the Detroit Lions program since Barry Sanders or Calvin Johnson. So I I give them a lot of credit. I I really, not to be, to sound biased here, but I really do hope that they win. I think it'd be impressive to see what Dan Campbell can do and this staff can do in a Super Bowl situation, which Detroit has never been to, worth mentioning. Last time they even got to this game was 1992. So just a testament to how long it's been for Detroit and how much they've needed someone like Dan Campbell to come in and steer that program.
1: This is the NW Boat Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN, 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB. Classic, it's 96.7, WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common, talking NFL playoffs. And now let's shift over to the conference championship games. In the AFC, we have Chiefs-Ravens. In the NFC, we have Lions, Niners, and I mean, we were just kind of talking about it. How it just it's still crazy that the Lions have found themselves in the NFC Championship game, and I mean, they were plenty hyped coming into the season, but it is still just seeing the Lions in the conference championship. That that part is just kind of crazy in and of itself because you know, Chiefs, Ravens, Niners, the Chiefs and the Niners were definitely among the teams that were you know favored. To be at this position, Ravens. I believe at least prior to the start of the season, were in the mix, but certainly weren't the favorites. They kind of played themselves into being throughout the latter parts of this uh of this past uh, season. So, what kind of are some of the things you're uh, looking forward to see in this coming weekend?
2: Oh well, if you believe the Super Bowl logo conspiracy theory, it's inevitable that it'll be San Francisco versus Baltimore, based on the colors that they use in the logo. To be fair that is a little uncanny that it's been, what, three years in a row that the colors have matched perfectly? Yeah. I mean, even the 2021 for Kansas City-Tampa Bay, it was a solid red letters for that Super Bowl. So it's like, okay, you know what? This is actually a little bizarre that this keeps happening. But all that being said, I'm expecting some great games. I really think these are two, two groups of teams that match up very well with each other. I mean, Kansas State-Baltimore, you, you went from Pat Mahomes-Josh Allen to Pat Mahomes-Lamar Jackson. I, the the AFC is absolutely spoiled with elite quarterback battles this postseason. They just have been. So that, that should be a great matchup. I do give a little bit of an edge, a very, very slight one, and it just hurts my soul to say it. I give a little bit of an edge to the Ratbirds. I do. I don't like I don't want either team to win. I'm rooting for whoever comes out of the NFC, and that pains me because I don't want to root for San Francisco either. But I gotta say, I I think Baltimore might be the more complete team. So it it should be a good game. I think Pat Mahomes is gonna absolutely go off. I think they're gonna have a phenomenal night, and it's gonna be one of those games that you just you hit record on because you want to save it for your own records. But I kind of feel that the Ravens might be able to pull this one off. NFC. Going into the postseason, I thought San Francisco was simply a matter of being anointed to become the guys, to become the team this year. After what we've seen so far this postseason, I got to tell you, I think Detroit's the better team. I really do. I think they're the more complete team, and I think Detroit will actually beat San Francisco and come away with their first Super Bowl appearance. So on Wednesday night, the 24th of January, I'm calling for a Detroit Baltimore Super Bowl, which may be one of the coolest Super Bowls we've seen in a long time. Could be a lot of fun.
1: Oh, the next thing I had for you was death taxes and Pat Mahomes in the AFC Championship game because this now his sixth straight season getting there since he's the starter. And I mean, you say you you give a little bit of an edge to the Ravens. I think if, if what you're saying is the case is that, that Pat Mahomes does have a great game, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with the Chiefs winning because that's what the formula has really been for the Chiefs, you know, over these last years. And you know, obviously the difference being the defense has been, you know, better than they have been in past years. And having a runner like Isaiah Pacheco has certainly uh, helped things as well for the Chiefs. So, I mean, I guess just if you do see a Mahomes game, that is, you know, one of those games you're going to want to watch. Do do you think the same thing is going to be said for Lamar Jackson, and that would be why the Ravens would get your your slight nod? No, I really
2: do. That that's the difference for me. I I think Pat Pat Mahomes is going to do Pat Mahomes things. It's as simple as that. That he he's going to make throws that no other human this side of the universe can make. He is going to do his little granny waddle jog <laughs> that we see all the time. He and Andy Reader could come up with some incredible play calls and some schemes. He is going to get all the calls because that's just what happens with Patrick Mahomes. But at the end of the day, what I think separates the Ravens from the Chiefs in this matchup, I think the fact that Lamar is going to be running the ball as well, getting that kind of performance from them, I, I am I am not sold on Kansas City's defense at all not even a little bit, and if Mark Andrews, which appears he's on track to play in the AFC, AFC title game, if Mark Andrews is back, the way Zay Flowers has been playing, the way Rashad Bateman's been playing, all you need is a relatively decent performance from Gus Edwards to complement Lamar Jackson, and that is a very dangerous offense. Kind of offense that I don't think Kansas City has seen a, has has had to play against it a little bit. Buffalo's offense is good, but it's really Josh Allen just heaving the ball downfield and hoping Stephon Diggs comes up with it more often than not. James Cook has been a good compliment this year, but they kind of shut down the ground game quickly with Cook because he hasn't been in that position before. With Lamar Jackson, you really got two different players that could run the ball and run it effectively between him and Edwards. So I I'll say this much. I'm still saying Baltimore. Mostly because I think I jinx teams when I pick them. So I also kind of want to pick San Francisco because of that. But I think Baltimore, but it's going to be a close, close game. I don't think it's going to be a bad game by any means. I don't think either team's going to blow each other out. Now, having said that, if one team is going to blow the other out, it's Kansas City. So I guess this game could end one of two ways. Either Kansas City just dog walks Baltimore on their way to another Super Bowl. Or it's going to be a good back and forth and Baltimore comes away with the win.
1: With that, what's up, aside for a quick timeout, we'll come back and take a look at some other things in the sports world here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios.
3: NWO has news. We
1: are excited to announce the newest addition to the NWO family. Dr. Ryan Tran is a local who was raised in the area, trained by the Cleveland Clinic, and has returned to his hometown to care for your whole family, just like he does his own. Dr. Tran is now accepting new patients of all ages in our Tiffin office. Make your appointment today to experience the benefits of family care by a hometown professional. There's only one place to go. NWO.
5: Saying goodbye to summer is less sad when you realize your favorite fall flavors are here at Big B Coffee. Celebrate the return of our sweet foam pumpkin cold brew, pumpkin spice latte, and our caramel apple cider. Pair these delicious fall sips with our maple waffle sandwich or pumpkin muffin. Available for a limited time at one of the two Big B Coffee locations in Findlay, one on Trenton Avenue and one on Tiffin Avenue.
1: Back we are on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN, 1430 AM, 105.7 FM. WFB Classic, Hits 96.7 WBVI Lance Morris. Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. Big thanks to Ty Traxler from Elmwood along with Mike Lee from Pandora Gaboa for joining us today. On the show, if you miss any part of our show or just want to hear it again, head over to wfb.com Click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons as well. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts. We are not physically at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials. It's how you get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Download the Frickers app to see more and to place an order to find them online. At Frickers.com and Matt, there's a handful of other things to talk about here in the world of sports. And uh, the biggest, in my opinion, is the Milwaukee Bucks made quite the splash yesterday as they fire Adrian Griffin as their head coach. He was just about midway through the season. The record was 30-13 and overall, so by no means a bad record. He had been just hired in the offseason to replace Mike Budenholzer, who did help lead them to an NBA title in 2021, and they've since made Joe Prunty their interim head coach. But rumors are starting to spread that they are looking into hiring Doc Rivers as their head coach, who's, of course, been around the block a few times as he's been with the Magic Celtics, Clippers, and Sixers over the last 20-plus years. So, I mean, just the fact of the Bucks making this move in the middle of the season, something must have went horribly wrong, even though the record doesn't show it. And they, just the fact that they have a guy on the market such as Doc Rivers is, I think, just the biggest uh, benefactor of that as well.
2: Oh, well, I really think what it boils down to is the David Blatt situation is really what I think it is. It's They had a hire and a coach and a staff and a program in mind that I think received a complete about-face with the Damian Lillard trade. I, I, I think it really changed the narrative, it changed the scope of what was going on. And uh, honestly, I think very similar to David Blatt. Adrian Griffin, a good coach. He's not a bad coach. He's absolutely going to get another shot in the NBA at some point in the near future. I mean, I know David Blatt went back to the international circuit more than anything else. But I think the thing for me that really stands out is if you have Damian Willard and Giannis on the same team, you saw Chris Middleton there, this is a dominant team. 30-13 and 13 is a good record. I think they were expecting to be on pace to break Golden State's record with the kind of team they had put together. I think that's the 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 floor that they wanted for this team. So whether that's reasonable or unrealistic or crazy, that's another matter entirely. But it, it, it strikes me again, very David Blatt, fire someone mid season when the entire calculus around the team changes after you've already made the coaching change. So. I kind of get that vibe. I think if they are bringing Doc Rivers, I think that's a phenomenal fit. I mean, you look at what Rivers has done over the years with guys at the point guard position, his success that he had with Rajon Rondo, his success that he's had with other uh, point guards over the years at all of his stops. I think he's a great choice to come in here with a guy like Lillard on the team. Really should be able to maximize his potential and it's, I think it opens the window a little bit longer for the championship push for Milwaukee. I really do. Just at the end of the day though, it, it's so weird to see that happen mid season, especially with a team with a comfortable winning record.
1: And I like how you kind of equate it to what we saw with David Blatt in that, you know, it did ultimately end up working out for the Cavs, even though they didn't go with a big name coach. They went with Tyron Lue who's, you know, since become one of the better coaches I'd say, at least, uh, uh, above average in the NBA at the very least. But at, at what point do we say, okay, I, I and this is not to crap, crap on Doc Rivers, cause I think he's definitely a very good coach, but he, it's been a while since that title. That's, that's been a while at this point, the iteration, the NBA has since made a lot of changes since that 2008 Celtics team, that won with the big three, that, at this point, is starting to become more of ancient history than, you know, recent history. We thought with the Clippers, you know, that it was going to work out. Doesn't ultimately work out. We thought with the Sixers it was going to work out, and in a way it did because you did have a guy like Joel Embiid get MVP last season, but ultimately in the postseason they end up sputtering. And you could acquit, you can acquit some of that to James Harden as well for maybe the, him kind of, you know, falling out of, you know, things at the end of the season as well. But at what point does it become, okay, Doc Rivers has not won a title in quite some time. Not that he is the problem, but at some point he's not leading us to the title that we are so very much coveting, as is very clearly the case with the Bucks, with when you're making this move with your record being what your record is and with the offseason moves of getting Damian Lillard.
2: Well, let me start by saying this. The That 2008 team with the Boston Celtics, I think the reason why you didn't really see continued titles from that point forward is that they were the patient zero of the super team era and the, well, what, what I like to call the AAU BS era of the NBA, where you no longer have players that can't stand each other and want to play for the same team against each other. It's, Oh, let's all team up. So that way none of us have to work hard and get titles. my my two cents i i think some of the like dynasty stuff so for example golden state some of the teams have been consistently good during this era i think it greatly diminishes what they've done with the only exceptions and this is not just to be a cleveland fan but coming back from a 3-1 deficit for lebron and the cavaliers in 2016 i think that was an impressive title and i think toronto's championship against Golden State in 2019 as well, equally as impressive because of that. But I think Doc Rivers hasn't been able to turn it around with the other programs because he built the model of what these super teams have been doing nowadays. And he's kind of been consistently put in the position of, okay, rebuild another super team. That really doesn't happen every time flawlessly. I I mean, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, John Rondo, and Paul Pierce, all of them were incredibly good compliments to each other as to what they did. I'll just call it as is. I think Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and when it was Russell Westbrook, when it was Blake Griffin, when it was, I don't know, 57 other third persons in the Clippers organization that they've rotated through, I just felt like they kept trying to pick an all-star and just saying, hey, hopefully this works. Maybe not the best compliment, but hey, here's hoping it works kind of situation. Same thing with Philly. I mean, he made a MB very, already a phenomenal player, made him one of the best in the game. But they were just kind of throwing parts together and hoping things would stick. And you had James Harden, who you know my opinion about James Harden. You love him. I can't stand him. Can't stand him argue that he may be one of the most aggressively overrated players in the entire history of the NBA. And I will be candid when I say I am adamant in my opinion that he's not even a top 20 s- shooting guard in the NBA currently. I mean, that's that, bad. That's that, bad. That's badly absurd, but continue. I stand by what I said. I stand. I, I, I'll, I will choose this hill to die on, but point being I think it could work in theory in Milwaukee because it's kind of already been built and it is co- good complementary pieces. Middleton works well with Giannis. Having Lillard there gives you a legitimate number two scoring option, but more importantly, gives you a phenomenal facilitator. So it's kind of like rolling Paul Pierce and John Rondo into one guy in a Doc Rivers system. So I, I certainly think it could work, but to answer your question, This is probably the make-or-break one for Doc Rivers, which is crazy to think about, because I think of Doc Rivers, I think he's a phenomenal coach. I really do. I think he's a very talented coach. But in terms of his legacy, I'm with you. I think this is, he probably needs to come away with a title, if not multiple titles in his tenure in Milwaukee for him to go down as one of the all-time greats that I personally think Doc Rivers should go down as.
1: I mean, you you think, at least in terms of just Doc for a second, it's crazy to me that it didn't work in L.A., with the only caveat being he helped guide them through the Donald Sterling transition because he was their head coach at the time. So just the fact that he was able to do that and then it still ultimately ran its course for one reason or another with the clippers that part's crazy to me but then at a certain token we've talked about you know james harden maybe playing a role in you know blowing because they had a three they had their own i think three one lead against the celtics in the second round last season that's something that is also doc rivers has done a handful of times now is he's had the three one lead and he's lost he did it with the Sixers last year, he did it at least once with the Clippers, maybe more. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's—it's something that has happened to him more times than it has to seemingly every other coach. And at a certain level, it's yeah, he at least put himself in the position to have those three-one leads. But at the same time, you shouldn't be blowing three-one leads all that uh, all that many times. It's not supposed to just happen often. Uh, no, and if you
2: want to talk about an Achilles heel for Doc Rivers' legacy he does have a habit of taking his foot off the gas pedal. And by the time he does regroup from a coaching perspective and get back into the swing of things, it's usually too little too late. So I will absolutely agree with that sentiment. The amount of three ones that he's given up or three twos that he's given up over the years, that's a problem. That is a legitimate problem. It's the the coach that with a five-point lead, they start passing the ball around the horn with like seven minutes to go in a game. It's like, you don't have enough of a lead yet to do this. You're like two bad breaks away from actually being down in this game. And to be fair, Doc Rivers, he's kind of that coach. Once he feels comfortable, he takes his foot off the gas a little bit. going to be kind of hard to do that with the roster they have in Milwaukee. So it's... Two Rivers credit, I mean, the Donald Sterling situation, David and trust the process, He has not been given easy, take your time and build it up the way you want to build it up kind of rebuilds at his stops since Boston. But again, I I think it could work out. I'm still very surprised they did let go of Adrian Griffin the way they did, especially with the record that they had. But if you can get a Doc Rivers that can come in and replicate 2008 Boston with this Milwaukee team, you kind of got to take that risk at the same time.
1: Switching gears to baseball, the Baseball Hall of Fame ballots were announced yesterday, Making it into the Hall of Fame, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Mauer. just missing out, Billy Wagner, Gary Sheffield, Andrew Jones, and Carlos Beltran, and then after that, guys like A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, Chase Utley. It's not as bad as some of the prior years where there was the one year where just Ortiz was the only guy who made it, there was one year I don't remember if it was last year or the year before maybe where nobody made it into the Hall of Fame because nobody got to that 75% number so at least they have a couple guys that are deserving but to say Billy Wagner who's probably the best lefty reliever ever he's not in the Hall of Fame Gary Sheffield one of one of the best just pure hitters in terms of baseball history and The fact that he was as good is that much of a credit to his hitting because especially now with the defensive analytics that are available now that weren't all there when he was playing, he was a terrible defender basically anywhere you put him. So because of that, he had to be as good of a hitter as he was. So you definitely have to have him in at some point. Similar but different case for Andrew Jones as a guy who was an awesome defender in center field but also had at least a 150 home run season. And Carlos Beltran, it's, he's only not in, I think, because of the Astros stuff at the very end of his career. And, yeah, he might have been involved in that a little bit at the tail end of his career. But to say that he's not one of the best baseball players at some level that's ever played. Oh, and by the way, he was a switch hitter to tell me those and then and that's not even getting to a rod and manny and these other guys that were left off i mean yeah it's it's not as bad as it has been some of these previous years as i alluded to but still and and i don't know if we're ever going to get a perfect baseball hall of fame class because i think we would have if we were going to at some point but yeah certainly uh certainly just leaves a little bit to be desired
2: oh well look first of all let me say for the ones who did get in this year um all deserving. I don't think yeah. any of them are not deserving. Um, Adrian Beltre was the, he he is, I, I, I always tell the story, I think back to when Tim Brown got in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I remember sitting there seeing Tim Brown get, get his name announced as one of the Hall of Fame inductees for that year. And I was like, really? Tim Brown? Over this guy? Over that guy? Hold on, I got to look up his stats. Let me look up. Oh, Tim Brown was really, really good. Never mind, I'll shut up. <laughs> Same attitude towards Adrian Beltre. I'll totally be honest. I was about to rip it a new one. And then I pulled up his stats like, "Oh, never mind. He was secretly like one of the best hitters of our era." Yeah. Okay, I'll shut up. Kind of thing. But in terms of Hall of Fame, you you and I have talked about the pro the baseball Hall of Fame many times. And I've never changed my... I think it's a joke. I think it's an absolute joke. I think the... the travesty that continues to be one that Pete Rose is not a Hall of Famer and two, that they are doing this holier-than-thou crap with the steroid-era players when every single one of those blood-sucking beat writers made their bank off of the steroid-era players. Writing copy for those teams, those that period of time for Major League Baseball disgusts me. It just disgusts me. So, to answer your question, when will we get a perfect one? We won't. When they finally get off their high horse about that. Simple as that. But to go back to some of the players that missed the cut, I'll ask it this way. Just the same way I ask for football, same way I ask for basketball. And you know way more about the game of baseball than I do. So, I'm really looking forward to your insight on this. Can you tell me the story of Major League Baseball in the last 30 years without Carlos Beltran? You can, but not well. Can you do that without without mentioning Gary Sheffield?
1: once? No, and if for no other reason than his swing. Okay. His batting stance.
2: Exactly. And then for Billy Wagner, can you tell the story of Major League Baseball without Billy Wagner right now?
1: No, he's, like I said, he's one of, if not the best lefty reliever ever. This is this is my stance.
2: If you are talking about a player and whether or not it's a little bit questionable whether or not they should get in, can you tell the story of the game without that player? For me, I think to Gary Sheffield, one, his swing, two, his power, three, the fact that he may be one of the worst fielders the game has ever seen. <laughs> like, the... His tenure is entirely because of how he could hit the ball. Yeah. It's as simple as that. But you can't tell the story of Major League Baseball without talking about the 97 Marlins. One of the first buy it to win it franchises, where then they completely gutted the roster that offseason. Sheffield had a 40 home run year that year as part of that team. He was a major contributor throughout the postseason. You you have to talk about Gary Sheffield when you talk about the Florida Marlins at the time and their World Series title. Billy Wagner did it with, my God, he did, what, the Mets, the Phillies, the Astros, and was just elite every step of the way. And for Beltran, I mean, yeah, his time in Houston the second time around, sure, the garbage can thing okay but by that logic does that mean that since Justin verlander was on that team is Verlander not getting in the Hall of Fame now too you can tell me with a straight face that um j- just to just to call it as it is because yes he was apparently a key part of it as a player you mean to tell me Jose altuve shouldn't get in in any capacity
1: I can't run that- I can't wait for the discussion at at when we're five plus years whenever down the line when Altuve is eligible because I think he eventually will get in but I would almost guarantee he's not gonna be a first ballot if for no other reason than the cheating scandal
2: well and this is why I bring it up because it's if you're gonna do this because I know Gary Sheffield is a power hitter he gets tainted by the steroid era Carlos Beltran has the cheating scandal and I think that's ridiculous because Beltran has been phenomenal. He was Mister October the first time he was in Houston. He hit what ten home runs that season when Houston made it to the World Series and then got swept by the White Sox. There's just some ridiculous metric like that. I mean, he was incredible. So it's like no these these guys deserve to get in. And the fact that Manny Ramirez is so far down on the voting thing just further shows me how bunk. This entire process actually is.
1: Well, and I mean, it's just with with A Rod. I mean, just because we kind of skipped over A Rod, yeah, he definitely used steroids. There's, he got, he's the only guy that's been suspended multiple times. He like, he he confessed to it directly. Correct. But also at the same time, can you really tell me he's not one of, if not the best shortstop slash third baseman because he went there only because of Jeter? Oh, by the way, people probably forget he was a much better actual shortstop than Derek Jeter, but it was Derek Jeter's team, quote-unquote, so he knew when he went there he was going to move positions. He was one of, if not the best shortstop ever, and then became a Hall of Fame third baseman because he basically had to, even though he's not actually a Hall of Famer at this moment.
2: And again, if if you want to hit on the steroid era, I've thrown this metric out before I've thrown this study out before and I'll just stand by it. Studies have overwhelmingly shown again and again, outside of bat velocity and throw velocity, steroids do not help with hand-eye coordination. They do not help with timing and adjustment. They do not help with the natural skill set required to be able to swing a bat effectively to hit the ball outside of just additional power. It makes you look bigger and you might be able to get a little more oomph behind your swing, but all the other mechanics you still have to be able to do. So for my money, the steroid era, sure. Do you, you want to take away like 10 home runs from each player over the course of their seasons? Have at it. But to continue to completely dismiss them from any ability to get into the Hall of Fame, it disgusts me. It really disgusts me. We're, we're looking at an era where a lot of all time records were broken. Is it fair? Is it a good thing that they were broken with the taint of steroids or potentially pharmaceutically enhanced cheating going on?
1: No, it's not great. Here's uh, but not, not, you gotta not, you gotta move past that because it's a game. But not not to not to cut you off as well. Sure. Bud Selig is in the Hall of Fame. Exactly. And he was the commissioner the whole time the steroid era was a thing.
2: Absolutely. And also the same person that facilitated every suspension and everything else that went along with it.
1: And this is not to say Bud Selig's a bad person by any stretch, but no, I'm I don't, sure he's a good but, person. But I, I don't think terrible commissioner. <laughs> but... Well, well that's the, the thing is is the steroids were that much of an issue "Quote unquote" in baseball, because Selig and Powers at B, they knew well before the rest of the world that steroids were in their game, and they knew they needed to ride that wave because of the '98 home run chase and how what that did for the game of baseball. In that, you can still talk to, you know, people from that era, and even if they're not super big sports fans. More of the people than not that are of that of uh, of that are old enough, they have memories of McGuire and Sosa, and yeah, it might have been helped a little bit by some pharmaceuticals, but like you alluded to as well, that did not meet, teach them how to hit a baseball.
2: Absolutely agree. And what what I would say to that, I I have a I have a baseball here in my office in my undisclosed location in Northeast Ohio. Whatever we do record and stuff like that. Um, I have a baseball here. It's a baseball from the 1994 World Series. Lance Morris, I'm going to ask you, who won the 1994 World Series? No one. Correct.
1: So you don't have a baseball?
2: Oh, no, I do, because they still made the baseballs, but the strike canceled the World Series. Yeah. The work stoppage canceled the World Series. So baseball absolutely needed the steroid era to get the fans back. Everyone profited and benefited off of it. And now when it's time for the players to get their just desserts in terms of their accolades and their career achievements, the beat writers and all that are thumbing their nose at them going, Oh no, we couldn't possibly vote for a cheater (laughs) scandal. What will the neighbors think at the hockey hall of fame? (laughs) They'll never invite us over for tea again. We can't invite, we can't have derelicts and troublesome people like you in our Hall of Fame. You know what? I- I'd say something that would get me a lovely letter from the FCC to those guys. <laughs> Please don't, because fact of the matter is, none of them would be in the positions they're in if it weren't for the steroid era. And more importantly, that you can't tell me Roger Clemens isn't the Hall of Famer without the steroids. Barry Bonds was on pace for a 500 home run career before the steroids. Rafael Palmeiro may have been one of the two or three best designated hitters in the history of baseball before the steroids. It's just, you you can't, if you really want to piece part and like take it down and micromanage it like that, fine. Most of these guys were still hall of famers without the steroids and before the steroids. So get them in. It's as simple as that. And since we're talking baseball, here's my obligatory Dolan's please sell the Cleveland guardians. So I got all my rants out of the way. Now I feel better.
1: Before we go, we do have one lighter note to uh, end things on after our uh, baseball talk. My Northwood Rangers, Matt, are going to be in our lives even more so because they are going to be joining the SBC River Division here in the next few years. So are you excited to uh, make some more trips uh, to my alma mater? No. (laughs) I'm kidding. No, actually, I mean, you and I have talked
2: about Northwood a good bit when we talked about possible league realignments and stuff like that. We had them pegged as potentially a BVC team. Not necessarily SBC, but I think it's a great fit. I really do. Um, It it seems like a good fit on paper. It's a good fit from a football perspective. I think the SBC just got a really good program with a lot of tradition to come in and be a part of it now. Um, Kind of fills that weird gap that New Regal not having a football team kind of leaves. So I like that. But yeah, I, th- I actually think it's a good move. I think it's a really smart decision by them. I feel they have been in that the, the conference they were in before. I, I'm drawing a blank. I'm sorry. The tack. The tack. Thank you. It's You had to be 10-0, and you had to hope that all of your non-conference games had winning records to even make the playoffs.
1: Yeah.
2: I, I think moving to the SBC, I think it gives them an opportunity to kind of flex their muscle a little bit more, but also gives them a lot more grace when it comes to postseason time so i i actually really like it when i saw that happen i i know i've joked with you a little bit about because it's your alma mater but i think it's a good move and i will also say considering the teams between northwood and the other teams in the sbc don't sleep on some more teams from that area jumping into the sbc as well Like, I would not be surprised if Woodmore or Gibsonburg also make the jump at some
1: point here. Matt, they're both already in the conference.
2: Are they both in the SBC?
1: This is Woodmore's first year, but yes.
2: Well, I I didn't realize. I thought that was still a little bit down the road for Woodmore.
1: Yeah, no, this is Woodmore. Gibsonburg joined a handful of years ago. This is Woodmore's first year.
2: No, well, in that case, then they complete the set. That's good. Like, I'll be... Call it as is. Sometimes I miss on that. The SBC is a massive conference. It It is. So I'm gonna give myself some grace on that one. But I, yeah, I legitimately thought Woodmore was still trudging around that's, the pack there. Well, that's the that's
1: well, that's why Woodmore didn't play Fostoria in football this year. It's because they no, weren't they were in the same league.
2: That would make a lot more sense at this point. But no, it's I, I think Northwood joining is a great addition to the SBC. Now it's just a matter of which SBC they'll be joining. <laughs>
1: No, they're they're going to be in the river. They they are it is confirmed that they're going to be in the river. Yep, they'll be in the river. It'll make it a little more open for football and then there will be divisions for the non-football sports. That'll be divided by US6. So the teams north of that including Northwood, Fremont, St. Joe, Gibsonburg, some of those teams, they will all be one side of the division and then the south side is the Calverts, the Hopewells, Old okay. Fort, New Regal, and uh, th- those uh, th- those schools a little further south.
2: Which that makes sense. That that that's a good way to break it down on paper. But yeah, I I really like the move. I know that means we're going to be doing a lot more Northwood games. <laughs> I've already come to terms with that. At least it's a nice facility that that's as that's as much as I'm going to be able to come up with on that one. It's it's a nice venue, so. I'll live with it. I haven't, no. I
1: haven't even been to the new school yet. I, I We had the football game a few years ago, but I haven't been to the actual new school. Yeah, yet. See, I,
2: I've only driven past it, but it looks pretty nice. And I mean, my God, if Rossford's renovations are any indicator, all the schools up there are just building <laughs> palaces for their programs. So no, it, it'll be fun. I, I genuinely think it's a good addition. I think it's a little overdue
1: for Northwood to move into a different oh, we, conference. We, we, we were saying this stuff when I was in school. So it's been yeah. a discussion at least for that long. So it, it's, it's well past
2: due. I think they picked a good one with the SBC. And I think it should make the SBC all that more competitive, which you really can't ask for anything more than that in a conference that's already very
1: competitive. That'll just about do it for us tonight. Big thanks to Ty Traxer from Elmwood along with Mike Lee from PG for joining us today on the show and join us for our coverage of high school basketball over the next few days. Thursday, we'll have Fostoria girls basketball as they take on Eastwood Friday night. We'll have Elmwood against Pandora Gaboa on classic hits 96, seven. And then Friday on WFOB SBC river girls basketball, Lakota against Hopewell Loudon. And then Saturday, a double header of games in the afternoon. We'll have high school girls basketball, Liberty Benton takes on Liberty center. And then Saturday night we'll have SBC river action. Once again, Battle of Bullfrog Road with New Regal taking on Home Loud Ladder. We'll have both of those games on Saturday for you as well. And for my broadcast partner, Matt Cobb, and this is Lance Moore signing off for this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one.